3, Part 2 of The Big Drum by Arthur Wing Pinero. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Act 3, Part 2 Philip has joined Ottiline in the vestibule. He now follows her into the room, shutting the vestibule door. She is elegantly dressed in white, and, though she has recovered her usual stateliness and composure, is a picture of radiant happiness. Ottiline, giving her hand to Roop, who raises it to his lips. I'm glad you are home, Robbie, and that you are here tonight. To Lady Filson and Sir Randall. Mother? Dad? Oh, and there's Bertram. Uh, don't be scandalized, any of you. To Roop. Resting her hands on his shoulders. Une fois de plus, mon ami, pour vous témoigner ma gratitude. She kisses him. Lady Filson laughs indulgently, and Sir Randall, wagging his head, moves to the fireplace. <laughs> <laughs> Going to the fireplace. Oh, what a lovely fire! To Sir Randall, as Roop seats himself in the chair by the smoking table and prepares to make himself agreeable to Lady Filson. Share it with me, Dad, and let me warm my toes before dinner. I'm frozen. Philip, coming to the middle of the room. My dear Adeline, Lady Filson, Sir Randall, I fear we shall all have time to warm our toes before dinner. Roop, who is about to address some remark to Lady Filson, puts his hand to his mouth, and Sir Randall and Lady Filson look at Philip inquiringly you mustn't blame me wholly for the hitch in my poor entertainment the kitchen i guess your difficulties philip no nor my kitchen either ottiline turning the chair on the nearer side of the fireplace so that it faces the fire the cook wasn't punctual installing herself in the chair ah la la Ce cuisinière cause la moitié des ennuis sur cette terre. Oh, yes, the cook was punctual. His manner hardening a little. The truth is, we are waiting for Mr. Dunning. Mr. Mr. Ottiline, from her chair, where she is almost completely hidden from the others. Good gracious, who's Mr. Dunning, Philip? John and the waiter open the big doors. The dining-table, round which the chairs are now arranged, is prettily lighted by shaded candles. Philip to John. John. Yes, sir? Tell the cook to keep the dinner back for a little while, do you hear? John, astonished. Keep dinner back, sir? Yes. When Mr. Dunning calls. Distinctly. Dunning. Yes, sir? I'll see him. Show him in. Yes, sir? You may serve dinner as soon as he's gone. I'll ring. John and the waiter withdraw into the kitchen, whereupon Philip, after watching their departure, deliberately closes the big doors. Roop, who has been picking at his nails nervously, rises and steals away to the left, and Sir Randall, advancing a step or two, exchanges questioning glances with Lady Filson. Oh, what a terrible shock! I was frightened that Philip had sprung a strange guest upon us. As Philip is shutting the doors, Vous êtes bien, mystérieux, Phil. Why are we to starve until this Mr. Dunning has come and gone? 
because if i tried to eat without having first disposed of the reptile otto i should choke reptile philip philip at the chair beside the smoking table to lady filson i apologize very humbly for making you and sir randall and dear adeline parties to such unpleasant proceedings lady filson but the necessity is forced upon me coming forward mr dunning is one of those crawling creatures who conduct what are known as confidential inquiries in other words he's a private detective an odd sort of person to present to you great heavens and he has lightened your son's purse presumably and crammed his willing ears with some ridiculous fantastic tale concerning my book the big drum mr dunning professes to have discovered that i have conspired with a wicked publisher to deceive you all that the book's another of my mishits and that i'm a designing rogue and liar to bertram come on bertram don't sit there as if you were a stuffed figure speak out and tell your father and mother what you've been up to lady filson open-mouthed bertie sir randall moving towards bertram bertram my boy bertram curling his lip to philip oh you seem to be getting on exceedingly well without my assistance mackworth i'm content to hold my tongue till dunning arrives i mean to say philip approaching lady filson you see lady filson master bertram is endowed with an exceptionally active brain when i gave those assurances to you and sir randall last june it occurred to him that in the event of my book failing to attract a market there was a danger of my palming it off with the kind aid of my publishers the out-and-out triumph i'd bragged of in advance and the loud blast of titterton's trumpet strengthen master bertie's apprehensions otterline unobserved rises unsteadily and with her eyes fixed fiercely upon bertram crosses the room at the back so what does he do bless him for his devotion to his belongings to safeguard his parents from being jockeyed and as a brotherly precaution he enlists the services on the sly of the obliging mr dunning we shall shortly have an opportunity of judging what that individual's game is with a shrug he may have stumbled legitimately into a mare's nest but i doubt it these ruffians will stick at nothing to keep an ingenuous client on the hook he is interrupted by feeling ottiline's hand on his arm he lays his hand on hers gently otto dear ottiline clutching him tightly and articulating with an effort it's it's infamous shameful my, my brother it's infamous no it'll be all over in ten minutes and then bertie and i will shake hands won't we bertie and forget the wretched incident ottiline confronting bertram trembling with passion how dare you how dare you meddle with my affairs mine and mr mackworth's how dare you bertram straightening himself look here ottiline stand up when i speak to you bertram gets to his feet in a hurry otto ottiline to bertram all your life you've been paltry odious detestable look here but this my god for you for any of us to impugn the honesty of a man whose shadow we're not fit to walk in sir randall 
to Lady Filson, pained. Winifred? Ottiline to Bertram. You, you, you're no better than your common hired spy. Lady Filson, rising and going to Ottiline. My child, remember. Ottiline, clenching her hands and hissing her words at Bertram. C'est la verté. Tu ne qu'un canaille. Un vil canaille. Control yourself, I beg. Leave me alone. She passes Lady Filson and sits on the settee on the right with glittering eyes and heaving bosom. Philip has withdrawn to the fireplace and is standing looking into the fire. Bertie, dear, I'm surprised at you to do a thing like this behind our backs. My dear mother, I knew that you and father wouldn't do it. Oh, I should think not, indeed. Your mother and I? Oh! Upon my word, this is rather rough. Walking away. I mean to say. Philip turning. We mustn't be too hard on poor Bertram, Lady Filson. Bertram pacing the room near the big doors. Poor Bertram! How? Oh. Sir Randall to Philip. I trust we are never unduly hard on our children, my dear Philip. To do him justice, he was most anxious to postpone these dreadful revelations till tomorrow. Exactly. Throwing himself into the chair between the big doors and the vestibule door. I predicted a scene. I predicted a scene. Philip to Sir Randall and Lady Filson, penitently. Perhaps it would have been wiser of me, more considerate, to have complied with his wishes. But I was in a fury, naturally. Lady Filson, sitting on the city on the left. Naturally. And excusably. I myself, in similar circumstances. Philip, rubbing his head. Why the deuce couldn't he have kept his two-penny thunderbolt in his pocket for a few hours? instead of launching it tonight and spoiling our soul a la mornay and our redevot ottiline gradually composing herself and retaining her dignity philip philip coming to the smoking table eh ottiline passing her handkerchief over her lips need you need you see this man tonight can't you stop him coming or send him away not see him why why should you stoop to see him at all why shouldn't the matter be allowed to drop to drop drop it's it's too monstrous too absurd to bertram with a laugh <laughs> uh, bertie bertie dear yes <laughs> i almost scared you out of your wits didn't i you've behaved excessively rudely bertram Bertram, I mean to say, mother, what becomes of family loyalty? Forgive me, Bertram. I'm ashamed of my violent outburst. Forgive me. Roop, who has been effacing himself behind the table on the left, appearing at the nearer end of the table. Ah, uh, dear excellent friends. Sir Randall and Lady Filson look at Roop as if he had fallen from the skies, and Bertram stares at him resentfully. Dear excellent friends, if I may be permitted to make an observation. Go ahead, old man. In my opinion, it would be a thousand pities not to see Mr. Dunning tonight, and have done with him. 
The fish is ruined. We must resign ourselves to that. Sitting in the chair on the extreme left. But the other dishes, if the cook is fairly competent. Sir Randall, advancing. Mr. Rope's opinion is my opinion also. As to whether Lady Filson and my daughter should withdraw into an adjoining room. I feel with Philip. We couldn't sit down to dinner with this cloud hanging over us. Sir Randall, sitting in the chair by the smoking table. Impossible. I must be frank. Impossible. Dear Madame de Chaumier will pardon me for differing with her, but you can't very well ignore even a fellow of this stamp. Glancing at Bertram. Especially if I understand her right. My excellent friend over there still persists. Yes, you do understand her right, Roop. I've every confidence in Dunning, I mean to say. Philip, turning away angrily. Oh. Bertie! Bertram, my boy. The bell rings. There is a short silence, and then Bertram rises and pulls down his waistcoat portentously. Here he is. Mother. Do you wish us to withdraw, Philip? Philip, sitting at the writing table. Not at all, Lady Filson. Switching on the light of the library lamp. On the contrary, I should like you both to remain. Otto, dear. Ottoline, adjusting a comb in her hair. Oh, certainly, Mother, I'll stay. Lady Filson, arranging her skirt and settling herself majestically. Of this we may be perfectly sure. When my son finds that he has been misled, purposely or unintentionally, he will be only too ready. Too ready. Sir Randall, leaning back in his chair and closing his eyes. That goes without saying, Winifred. A gentleman, an English gentleman. Bertram, who is watching the vestibule door, over his shoulder. Of course, father. If it turns out that I've been sold, I'll eat humble pie abjectly. Rupe, shaking a finger at Bertram. Ha! Ha! I hope you've brought a voracious appetite with you, dear excellent friend. Bertram, to Rupe, exasperated. Look here, Mr. Rupe. The vestibule door opens and John announces Dunning. Mr. Dunning. Dunning enters and John retires. Mr. Alfred Dunning is a spruce, middle-aged, shrewd-faced man with an affable but rather curt manner. He is in his hat and overcoat. Dunning to Bertram. Haven't kept you long, have I? I just had a cup of cocoa. He checks himself on seeing so large an assembly, removes his hat, and includes everybody in a summary bow. Evening. Larger gathering than you expected. Indicating the various personages by a glance. Sir Randall and Lady Filson, my father and mother. Evening. My sister, Madame de Chaumier. Evening. Mr. Roop, Mr. Mackworth. Evening. Sir Randall, Lady Filson and Roop, looking at Dunning out of the corners of their eyes, acknowledge the introduction by a slight movement. Philip nods unpleasantly. Ottoline, with a stony countenance, also eyes Dunning askance, and gives the barest possible inclination of her head on being named. Bertram, bringing forward the chair on which he has been sitting and planting it nearer to Sir Randall and Lady Filson, to Dunning. I suppose you may. Dunning. 
taking off his gloves and overcoat, to Philip. Do you mind if I slip my coat off, Mr. Mackworth? No. Don't want to get overheated and catch the flu? I've got Mrs. D in bed with a bad cold as it is. Now then, Mr. Dunning, I'll trouble you to give us an account of your operations in this business from the outset. Dunning, hanging his coat over the back of the chair. Pleasure. The business of Mr. Mackworth's new book, I mean to say. Dunning, sitting and placing his hat on the floor. Pleasure. Middle of October, wasn't it, when I... Later. Producing a dog's-eared little memorandum book and turning its leaves with a moistened thumb. Here we are, the 24th. To everybody referring to his notes as he proceeds, glibly. Mr. Filson called on me and Mr. Silito, ladies and gentlemen, on the 24th of last month with reference to a book by Mr. P. Mackworth, The Big Drum, published September the 2nd and drew our attention to the advertisements of Mr. Maxworth's publisher, Mr. Clifford Titterton of Charles Street, Adelphi, relating to the same. Mr. F., having made us acquainted with the special circumstances of the case, and furnished us with his reasons for doubting Titterton's flowery statements, wetting his thumb again and turning to the next leaf of his notebook. On the following day, the 25th, I purchased a copy of the said book at Messrs. Blake and Hodgson's in the Strand, Mr. Hodgson himself informing me in the course of conversation that, as far as his firm was concerned, the book wasn't doing anything out of the ordinary. Repeating the thumb process. I then proceeded to pump one of the girls, uh, to interrogate one of the assistants at a circulating library Mrs. D. subscribes to with a similar result. Turning to the next leaf. My next step. I wonder whether these elaborate preliminaries... Oh, don't interrupt, Father. I mean to say... My next step was to place the book in the hands of a lady whose literary judgment is a great deal sounder than mine or Mr. Silito's. I allude to Mrs. D., and her report was that, though amusing in parts, she didn't see anything in it to set the Thames on fire. Philip, laughing in spite of himself. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha! Dear excellent friend. Yes, all right, Mr. Roop. Dunning, turning to the next leaf. I and Mr. Silito then had another confab, uh, consultation, with Mr. Filson, and we pointed out to him that it was up to his father and mother to challenge Titterson's assertions and invite proof of their accuracy. Obviously. Mr. F., however, giving us to understand that he was acting solely on his own and that he wished the investigation kept from his family, we proposed a different plan. To which I reluctantly assented. To get hold of someone in Titterton's office, 
one of his employees male or female oh oh bertie otterline rising with a gesture of disgust ah really really bertram seeing otterline rise philip also rises and comes to her oh, that a son of mine should countenance oh but this is this is outrageous dad mother why should we degrade ourselves by listening any further philip philip patting her shoulder soothingly tish 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 my dear mother my dear father you're so impatient philip to otterline tish tish go back to the fire and toast your toes again i consider i was fully justified i mean to say falteringly otterline returns to the fireplace she stands there for a few seconds clutching the mantel-shelf and then subsides into the chair before the fire philip advances to the settee on the right sorry we have checked your flow of eloquence mr dunning even for a moment sitting i wouldn't miss a syllable of it do please continue sir randall looking at his watch my dear philip oh come to the man what's his name dunning merryweather dunning turning several pages of his notebook with his wet thumb merrifield merrifield passing behind dunning and half seating himself on the further end of the table on the left skip everything in between sarcastically my father and mother are dying for their dinner bertram dunning finding the memorandum he is searching for and quoting from it henry merrifield entry clerk to titterton left titterton after a row on the fifteenth of the present month a stroke of luck mr merrifield if ever there was one i mean to say having gleaned certain significant facts from the said merrifield ladies and gentlemen referring to his notes i paid two visits last week to the offices of messrs hopwood and co of six carmichael lane walbrook described in fresh paint on their door as shipping and general agents and the conclusion i arrived at was that messrs hopwood and co were a myth and their offices a blind the latter consisting of a small room on the ground floor eight foot by twelve and they are staff of the caretakers of the premises mr and mrs sweezy an old woman and her husband if i may venture to interpose again what on earth have messrs hopwood yes what have messrs hopwood bertram over his shoulder um, what have messrs hopwood Roop to bertram pointing to dunning i am addressing this gentleman dear excellent friend i'll tell you it's to the bogus firm of hopwood and co that the bulk of the volumes of mr mackworth's new book have been consigned bertram getting off the table eagerly dunning has seen them i mean to say be silent bertie do be quiet the the bulk of the volumes philip staring at dunning the the bulk of them 
Yes, gentlemen, the books are in a mouldy cellar, also rented by Messrs. Hopwood at Six Carmichael Lane. There's thousands of them there in cases some of the cases with shipping marks on them some marked for inland delivery i've inspected them this afternoon overhauled them mr sweezy has gone over to the borough to see his married niece and i managed to get the right side of mrs s sir randall softly looking from one to the other curious curious lady filson forcing a smile how how strange rope to lady filson a little disturbed why strange dear lady filson shipping and other marks on the cases these people are forwarding agents dunning showing his teeth nobody makes the least effort to dispatch the cases though that's singular isn't it but my good sir in the whole of our experience mine and mr sillitoe's we've never come across a neater bit of hanky-panky to philip no offence and if merrifield hadn't smelt a rat but 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 the cost of it all my dear mr dunning i don't know much about these things the expense of manufacturing many thousands of copies of mr mackworth's new book sir randall alertly quite so surely if we were to be deceived a simpler method could have been found Roop, with energy besides what has mr titterton gained by the deception true true what has he to gain philip who is sitting with his hands hanging loosely rising himself good god yes what has titterton to gain by joining me in a blackguardly scheme to 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 well gentlemen in the first place it's plain that titterton was too fly to risk being easily blown upon he was prepared to prove that the books have been manufactured and delivered i mean to say and in the second place on the question of expense the speculation was a tolerably safe one speculation madame de chaumier being according to my instructions to lady filson after a glance in ottoline's direction no offence ladies to sir randall and roop madame de chaumier being what is usually termed a catch mr mackworth would have been in a position after his marriage to reimburse titterton philip starts to his feet with a cry of rage oh roop jumping up and hurrying to philip pacifying him my dear phil my dear old chap philip grasping roop's arm robbie sir randall rises and goes to lady filson she also rises as he approaches her they gaze at each other with expressionless faces where does titterton live in gordon square roop pointing to the telephone telephone have him round he's not in london not he's gone to the riviera left this morning crossing to sir randall and lady filson appealingly lady filson sir randall you don't believe that titterton and i could be guilty of such an errant piece of knavery do you 
Oh, it's preposterous. Sir Randall, constrainedly. Frankly, I must be frank, I hardly know what to believe. Lady Filson, pursing her mouth. We, we hardly know what to believe. Philip, leaving them. <sighs> Roop, who has dropped into the chair by the smoking table, to Sir Randall. Sir Randall, dear excellent friend, let us meet Mr. Dunning tomorrow at Messrs. Hopwood's in Carmichael Lane. We three, you and I and Magworth. Philip, pacing up and down between the table on the left and the bookcase. Yes, yes, before I wire to Titterton or see Curtis, his manager. Roop, over his shoulder, to Dunning. Hey, Mr. Dunning? Pleasure. While this has been going on, Dunning has put his notebook away and risen, gathering up his hat and overcoat as he does so. Bertram is now assisting him into his coat. Sir Randall, advancing a step or two. At what hour? Dunning, briskly. Ten thirty suit you, gentlemen? Half past, past ten. ten. Roop, scribbling with a pocket pencil on his shirt cuff. Six Carmichael Lane, Walbrook. Dunning, pulling down his undercoat. I'll be there. Roop, lowering his hand suddenly and leaning back in his chair as if about to administer a poser. By the way, Mr. Dunning, you tell us you have a strong conviction that Messrs. Hopwood and Co. are a myth and their offices a sham. May I ask whether you've tried to ascertain who is the actual tenant of the room and cellar in Carmichael Lane? Why, Titterton, of course, I mean to say. Roop, waving Bertram down. Dear excellent friend. Dunning, taking up his hat, which he has laid upon the smoking table, to Roop with a satisfied air. Mr. Sillito's got that in hand, sir. What I have ascertained is that a young fellow strolls in occasionally and smokes a cigarette. And pokes about in the cellar. Calls himself Hopwood. But the name written on the lining of his hat. To Bertram, carelessly. Oh, I forgot to mention this to you, Mr. Filson. Producing his memorandum book again. Old Mother Sweezy was examining the young man's outdoor apparel the other day. Turning the pages with his wet thumb. The name on the lining of his hat is... Finding the entry. Is Westrip. Leonard Westrip. Westrip? Leonard Westrip? Mr. Westrip? Sir Randall, to Dunning, blinking. Mr. Westrip is my secretary. Bertram, to Dunning, agape. He's my father's secretary. Dunning, to Sir Randall. Your secretary? Philip, coming to the nearer end of the settee on the left. The... the... the fair boy I've seen in Ennismore Gardens. Roop, rising and joining Sir Randall and Lady Filson, expressing his amazement by flourishing his arms. Oh, my dear, excellent friends. Randall, what, what next? Sir Randall, closing his eyes. Astounding. Astounding. Dunning, looking about him rather aggressively. Well, I seem to have accidentally dropped a bombshell among you. Will any lady or gentleman kindly oblige with some 
particulars? To Ottiline, who checks him with an imperious gesture. I beg your pardon, madam? Ottiline has left her chair and come to the writing-table, where, with a drawn face and downcast eyes, she is now standing erect. Ottiline, to Dunning, repeating her gesture. Stop to Lady Filson and Sir Randall, in a strained voice. Mother! Dad! Everybody looks at her, surprised at her manner. Otto, dear! I, I can't allow you all to be mystified any longer. I... I can clear this matter up. You, my darling? Ottiline, steadying herself by resting her fingertips on the table. The... The explanation is that Mr. Westrip, with a wan smile, poor boy, he would jump into the sea for me if I bade him. The explanation is that Mr. Westrip has been helping me. Helping you? Helping you? Ottiline, inclining her head. Helping me. He, he. Raising her eyes defiantly and confronting them all. Écoutez. Robbie Whoop has asked, who is the actual tenant of the cellar and room in Carmichael Lane? Breathing deeply. I am. Lady Filson, advancing a few steps. You are? <laughs> Nonsense. Mr. Westrop took the place for me. My arrangement with Titterton made it necessary. With Titterton? Then he... he has... Yes, the thousands of copies packed in the cases with the lying labels... I have bought them. They're mine. Y yours? I, I was afraid the book had failed, and I went to Titterton and bargained with him. So, so everything, everything that your brother, Mr. Mr. Dunning, have surmised? Everything, mother, except that I am the culprit and Mr. Mackworth is the victim. Ottoline. Ottoline passing her hand over her brow. It's... it's horrible of me to give Titterton away, but what can I do? She turns her back on them sharply, and leaning against the table, searches for her handkerchief. Oh, need Mr. Dunning stay. Bertram, aghast, nudges Dunning and hurries to the vestibule door. Dunning follows him into the vestibule on tiptoe. Slowly and deliberately, Philip moves to the middle of the room and stands there with his hands clenched, glaring into space. Sir Randall, his jaw falling, sits in the chair on the extreme left. Lady Filson, touching Philip's arm sympathetically. Oh, Philip! Dunning to Bertram. Phew! Rummy development this, Mr. Filson! Awful. Opening the outer door. I'll, I'll see you in the mo morning. Pleasure. Evening, ladies and gentlemen. Lady Filson, again sitting on the settee on the left, searching for her handkerchief. <sighs> Good night. Good night. Roop, who has wandered to the bookcase like a man in a trance. Good night. Dunning disappears, and Bertram closes the outer door and comes back into the room. Shutting the vestibule door, he sinks into the chair, lately vacated by Dunning. 
there is a silence, broken at length by a low, grating laugh from Philip. <laughs> oh, Ottoline, Ottoline. <laughs> Ottoline, creeping to the nearer end of the writing table. Hush, hush, Philip, Philip. Ho, <laughs> ho, ho. Don't, don't. Making a movement of entreaty towards him. Phil, Phil. His laughter ceases abruptly, and he looks her full in the face. After a moment's pause. Thank you. Thank you. Turning from her and seating himself in the chair by the smoking table and resting his chin on his fist. Thank you. Again there is a pause, and Ottoline draws herself up proudly and moves in a stately fashion towards the vestibule door. Ottoline. At Bertram's side. Bertram, my cloak. Bertram rises meekly and fetches her cloak. Sir Randall, getting to his feet and approaching Philip. Your mother's wrap also, Bertram. Lady Filson, rising. Yes, let us all go home. Sir Randall, to Philip, laying a hand on his shoulder. My daughter has brought great humiliation upon us. Upon her family, my dear Philip, by this, I must be harsh, by this unladylike transaction. I have never felt so ashamed in my life. By and by, I shall be better able to command language in which to express my profound regret. Offering his hand. For the present, good night, and God bless you. Philip shaking Sir Randall's hand mechanically. Good night. As Sir Randall turns away, Lady Filson comes to Philip. Bertram, having helped Ottoline with her cloak, now brings Lady Filson's wrap from the vestibule. Sir Randall takes it from him, and Bertram then returns to the vestibule and puts on his overcoat. Lady Filson, to Philip, who rises. You must have us to dinner another time, Philip. If I eat a crust to-night, it will be as much as I shall manage. Oh, my dear boy, don't be too cast down. Over your clever book, I mean. Taking him by the shoulders. It's a cruel disappointment for you, and you don't deserve it. May I? She pulls him to her and kisses him. Good night. Good night. Lady Filson leaves Philip and looks about for her wrap. Sir Randall puts her into it, then goes into the vestibule and wrestles with his overcoat. Bertram, coming to Philip, humbly. Macbeth, I... I... No, no, don't you bother, old man. I... I could kick myself, Macbeth. I could indeed... I've been a sneak and a cat, I mean to say, and and I'm properly paid out. Philip, shaking him gently. Why, what are you remorseful for? You've only brought out the truth, Bertie. Yes, but I mean to say. And I mean to say that I'm in your debt for showing me that I've been a vain, credulous ass. Now be off and get some food. Holding out his hand. Good night. Bertram, wringing Philip's hand. 
Good night, Macbeth. Turning from Philip and seeing Roop, who, anxiously following events, is standing by the chair on the extreme left. Good night, Roop. Uh, good night. Lady Filson, half in the room and half in the vestibule, to Roop, remembering his existence. Oh, good night, Mr. Roop. Good night, dear Lady Filson. Sir Randall, in the vestibule. Good night, Mr. Roop. Good night. Good night, dear excellent friends. Lady Filson, to Ottoline, who is lingering by the big doors. Ottoline. Lady Filson and Bertram join Sir Randall in the vestibule, and Sir Randall opens the outer door. Philip, his hands behind him and his chin on his breast, has walked to the fireplace and is standing there, looking fixedly into the fire. Ottoline slowly comes forward and fingers the back of the chair by the smoking table. Good night, Philip. He turns to her, makes her a stiff, formal bow, and faces the fire again. Roop advancing to her, under his breath. Oh. Ottoline giving him a hand. Ah. With a plaintive shrug. Vous voyez, c'est fini après tout. No, no. Ottoline, withdrawing her hand. Pissed. Throwing her head up. Good night, Robbie. With a queenly air, she sweeps into the vestibule and follows Sir Randall and Lady Filson out onto the landing. Bertram closes the vestibule door, and immediately afterwards, the outer door slams. Roop to Philip in an agony. No, no, Phil, it mustn't end like this. Good Lord, man, reflect. Consider what you're chucking away. You're mad, absolutely mad. Philip calmly presses a bell push at the side of the fireplace. I'll go after him and talk to her. I'll talk to her. Running to the vestibule door and opening it. Don't wait for me. Going into the vestibule and grabbing his hat and overcoat. It's a tiff, a lover's tiff. It's nothing but a lover's tiff. Shutting the vestibule door piteously. Oh, my dear excellent friend. John appears opening one of the big doors a little way. Again, the outer door slams. Philip to John sternly. Dinner. John, looking for the guests, dumbfounded. D -d dinner sir? Serve dinner. John, his eyes bolting. The, the, the ladies and gentlemen have gone, sir. Yes, I'm dining alone. John vanishes precipitately whereupon Philip strides to the big doors, thrusts them wide open with a blow of his fists, and sits at the dining table. End of the third act.